0: Stocks, bonds, ETFs, straight out of downtown Chicago. This is Zach's Market Edge.
1: Welcome to Zach's Market Edge, the podcast about investing in your life. I'm your host, Tracy Reinick. And this week, I'm joined by Zach's chief equity strategist, John Blank, live from here in Chicago to do our annual show. This is one we do every year, which is kind of crazy. Will there be a recession? in 2019. We don't do the 2019 part, but we do the will there be a recession. The last couple of years have been kind of calm about the will there be a recession discussion we've had, John, but this year I feel like the the tide has changed a bit and it's, it's a more deep discussion this time about whether or not we might have it. Now, to remind the audience because some of them might not have listened to the prior episodes on this topic, but we've always discussed about one of the key indicators that you like to look at for a recession is the employment data. So we've discussed about when that goes into the negative, that's how you know you're in a recession and all of that. But now there's like, obviously there's nothing, no problem with the employment data right now. It's like the best ever, basically. It's still trugging along the The weekly jobless claims are still fantastic at those, you know, 50-year lows. Um, But to call a recession that's the employment data is, you know, doesn't doesn't turn that quickly. (laughs) It just doesn't. I remember the year um, 1999. I was living in San Francisco, and I was working at this really large law firm, And that year, because of everything going on with the dot-com boom, my firm, which had about 650 attorneys total nationwide, so it was pretty good size for back then especially, they hired 300 attorneys in 1999, just that one year. And everything was like, it's fantastic. And then by March of 2000, they were laying us off. It was like, Bam, bam. And you would never have known by looking at anything that was going on in like the employment data and all of that um, that that was about to occur. So, so I'm bringing all this up because everybody that I'm reading on Twitter and StockTwits and all these other places are, you know, oh, there's a recession in 2019. It's inevitable, and seemingly the market is kind of pricing this in, but. Are all those people getting it right, or should we be concerned? What is your take on all this?
0: Well, Tracy, I mean, there's no question that timing um, of a recession itself is, you know, two consecutive quarters of negative GDP. And if you want to not wait till quarters of GDP data, you go to the monthly non-farm payroll, and as I've said before, monthly revised, final and revised payroll if they go negative two or three months in a row, sequentially, hard not to argue that you need to take a hard, hard look at what the story is. It's causing people to, to write and worry about it because the stories will be told. So mm-hmm. we aren't close to that. We're not even right. near that. So now we have to do something we haven't done in the last two years, which is discuss this idea of the financial markets causing a real event in the macroeconomic data, meaning you know, consumption collapse, investment collapse, GDP growth collapse, firing of people, yeah. real data. There's a disconnect between that and just the financial markets, the bond markets, the money markets, the interest rate markets, the currency markets, the stock markets, and the lending markets. All of these markets are usually going to create some excesses in their performance Before something. So let's go through the three examples that most relate to the current moment. 98 financial crisis. There were recessions in most of Asian countries. What happened? Well, the idea was you were going to get growth that was stronger in Asia. So you would put lending and bonds and buy stocks in Asian countries. And what happened is that people pulled that lending out and that caused the currencies to collapse and it caused all the debt to be worth much, much less, which then all the countries had to pay, and they couldn't pay it, and the economies tanked. So the real collapse started in the financial markets of Asia and affected Asia only. And then the United States, because we were not on the, on the wrong end of the debt, did not actually feel a financial collapse that got to the economy. 2000, you were describe your tech thing. So again, what happened before people fired people at law firms and across the country was that the equities were valued exceptionally weirdly high. Yeah, absurd uh, euphoria about the potential for all these companies across the board. People were were spending money on advertisements and setting up firms and ipo and companies, and it was just getting to the point of insanity. So those two examples, it was again chasing growth to the point of insanity, mm-hmm. and then we have the 2008 thing when the, the insanity happened in the housing markets, where people were betting and ever increasing house prices and going into low doc and no interest or no no money down loans and chasing home rates and up and up and up, particularly on the coast. So again, clean excess, clear excesses that had to be corrected and then found their way into the financial market, from the financial markets to the real economy. So as we look at 2018, knowing that there is no recession in 2018, the question is, is there something in the financial markets in 2018 that we should see that's excessive? That's absurd. That's completely unwarranted and causing everything. And when we look at this, um, what has happened that's big, 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 that's affected everything? We know across the board that stocks in every country in the world and the United States, all the major indexes are down for the year. Every single one. So that's financial deflation, deflating indexes. Not consumer price inflation, financial deflation. So the only, the, the, the thing we have to look for is what causes financial deflation across the board, universally everywhere, right? And if I'm looking for something to fit that story, I'm gonna get it closest to understanding what's going on. So the only thing I can think is fitting the story best is that quantitative easing Started with the United States back in 2009 or so, ended in 2015, but Europe started in 2012 and carried on until basically right now in December. So there was kind of a a baton handing off of one quantitative easing to the other. So we didn't really know uh, the effects of the Fed's downside to quantitative easing because the Europeans were actually ramping up and continuing it during the time they exited so that the idea has always been, going back to podcasts I did with Mitch Sachs at that time, there would be unintended consequences when the quantitative easing ended. But we just didn't see it end. So what you have to say is the thing that brought the deflation was the same thing that brought the reflation. For years, Tracy, we talked about reflation and the reflating of quantitative easing. What happens with quantitative easing is the central bank goes around and buys treasury bonds mortgage-backed bonds, corporate bonds, any bonds, and gives the bank or the bond fund basically a, a money credit. And that then they have to go out and buy something else, either another bond, another stock, something, to replace the one that was bought by the Fed. So what happens is there's just a lot of money chasing securities of whatever type. And that tends to do what we would think. You have more demand for the product. The prices go up. And that was reflation. So now we have the opposite of that or at least none of that. And relatively speaking, or the Fed is pulling back on its balance sheet, and the, the, the ECB has gone to zero. So we're getting to a place of quantitative tightening, or at least no quantitative easing, and that is causing a deflation on any risk asset in the world. So, but this is, now if we look back at those three earlier events, and this one, they're very different because this one has a governmental cause, and it's deflation of financial assets, not absurd, excessive yeah. overvaluation. Because I don't think the equity markets at seventeen this this year in the United States terms is excessively, absurdly optimistic, like it was in two.
1: seventeen times. Yeah, yeah.
0: I don't think Tracy. I don't think you would agree with this. It's high. It's rich, but it wasn't high. Yeah. So what we're having here is a valuation correction after a lot of reflation is over. And now we're seeing what the answer is. There is a a point or two in the price-earnings ratio of stocks worldwide that was completely delivered by quantitative easing, and it's gone. And so are there effects to the real economy from knocking two points off a price-earnings ratio in every single uh, index in the world from taking quantitative easing away? The answer is yes, but probably uh, to a 15 or 21 level, meaning $20 of the stock fall is a $1 loss in consumption. People really don't respond to this. They think it's coming back. They didn't really count it in the first place. Right. So it, it generally doesn't have much of a consumption effect. Okay. So we probably feel worse about this than, than the reality is now that that doesn't mean we're out of this because there's two things that can happen from here. Um, one is the Fed and the ECB and the Bank of Japan and a lot of other people's reconsider, right? And they, mm-hmm. re, they can re-enter quantitative easing. It's nothing they right. can't do. Yeah. So policies that are decided to have negative consequences can be reversed, number one. Number two, we don't know the Chinese can do a lot here with their own easing. They've, they might be another part of this whole thing because it's all global and money, money doesn't matter. They can get into this thing. And the final one is is we um, we don't know if it's a chain event that this decline in price earnings valuations across the board and just the sell-off or shorting of stocks or just getting out of them or just the lack of demand for them and the falling of their price has a knock-on effect, a next effect, a chain effect. I mean, it's it's like in diving they used to say, you can always survive one mistake. It's the chain of mistakes that will kill you. So the question we have to then ask is, is this, if we got the causality right, the quantitative easing cause stock prices to fall this year, finally, that the deflation is probably 15 or 20% asset values that were deflated in the, in the, or reflated and now deflated, is there another shoe to drop Inside the loans, inside the credit markets that can take it down another notch in a big leg. That's the thing we got to think harder about. Do I have an answer to that? We looked into high yield and corporate bonds this morning. Yeah. Um, what did you think?
1: No, it doesn't look you know, like there's any immediate danger in those areas.
0: Right. So I didn't see anything either. I did see the timing of the widening of credit spreads in high yield markets to be exactly consistent with... The selling off of stocks. So there's certainly a relationship, but the level, the direction of what's going on in the high yield markets and the corporate bond markets is poor, directionally poor. But the absolute levels of credit spread widening are not threatening at all. Yeah. So the markets are very sanguine about the knock on effects of risk at this point in time. So what can happen here is, again, we can be lulled to sleep. And not understand a huge step function in risk that emerges in a period of weeks, and we're suddenly in a different world. Then that finds its way into the real economy. Yeah, Um, that's what we're looking for in 2019. That's what we're going to worry about. Now, today we had the FedEx CEO make this case for slowing growth. Right. You know, tariffs were poorly designed. Taxes, the Brexit, immigration policy in, in in Germany state-owned enterprise uh, management and mercantilism in China. He went through all this list. Yeah, What I'll tell you about all of that is that's direct government interventions to the growth of the economy. That's not the financial market at all, not, not some one of those.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, other than the one thing that's kind of interesting is that the, the corporate income tax cut in the United States did not stimulate growth or investment at this point in time, but it did stimulate an enormous amount of buybacks of stock. So the one thing we might think was smart in a period of deflation when quantitative use is disappearing is to reintroduce cash from a corporate tax cut into the financial economy to take out the risky assets. So I, I like the idea that there was some element of, of deflation this year that actually was usurped by the stock buybacks that peaked. The, the amount that came in to take out So, you know, the quantitative easing and the counterbalance, that's more of a a statistical question. But we have to think there was actually something good about that from the sense of, you know, at least there were buyers of equities, right? And there still continues to be from buybacks, buyers of equities supporting these stocks. I mean, a lot of stocks are so beaten up and the PE is so low from this deflation that the buying back of these things is supporting this whole process and causing – this chain event to have more trouble getting going.
1: Well, so, that was my next question. Because do, don't those buybacks and the tax cut it, it is just postpone the inevitable? Then it sounds
0: like. Well, here's the thing. I it's mean, delayed it. The postponing the inevitable is the idea that we have excesses that have to be carved back, right? And we still have to decide where they are. Yeah. And see, this is the problem with this whole thing. The rates of Valuation were high, but not very, very high. And now they certainly aren't high at all. They're getting close to historical standards. So yeah. they're getting normal. Not, They're not too low. Right. So the answer right now is there's certainly no evidence that the financial market are, is in turmoil, even. It's just a valuation no. correction. Mm-hmm. There is no evidence that the buybacks are anything but a good thing. And it's going to help getting out of quantitative easing because there's some more liquidity coming in from the real economy to the financial market, which is entirely new idea. The idea is usually that the financial markets drive into the real economy. The idea that you tax cut your way out and liquefy in the financial so there's another chain battle back, was not planned for, but it has happened and has probably been helpful. So the idea we got to continue to focus on is shoes dropping of absolutely massive excesses in the financial markets and asking ourselves where they are how they're playing out and where this can go in some kind of chain event and so um but you
1: don't have to have that you
0: don't have right? to have that
1: we could have just a garden variety bear market correction here and then the stocks will rebound off that and go on their way even ahead of a recession right that we saw that even in two thousand nine, where stocks started to recover, before we actually came out of the recession.
0: Right. You know, the one I always bring this into this this discussion about the NBE or National Bureau of Economic Research. If you go online and look up the definition of recession online, and you can do this fairly easily, just National Bureau of Economics definition of recession. But you, what you learn is recessions and cycles. There's expansions during recessions, like periods of time where growth gets little higher, but you don't actually get out of a recession. It's like a, it's a, low, you know, a pop that doesn't stick. And then there's recessions and expansions. We saw one in 2016 where there was a five- or six-quarter earnings recession.
1: Yeah, with the man, when manufacturing basically went into a recession.
0: Right, and there were parts of the economy that went into recession. And then the oil markets, we had all kinds of worry about the high-yield effects, and on kind of effects, and it didn't get there enough, and we just kind of staggered through a recession during an expansion. So now, once again, I think we're faced with a recession during an expansion, which means we'll probably see lower growth next year. The Fed came out with 2.3%, which, using a neural networks model that we estimated it's X, we came out with that same number for 2019, 22.3 for this. We're at 2.8 or 2.9 this year. Some will say 3.1. It doesn't really matter. Point is, 7 or 8 tenths of a growth rate percent are going to fall back. Um, but that is the other alternative, is a recession but the expansion continues. These are not clean ideas. That's my point. Yeah. Cycles aren't these things where I date it here and it's smooth and then it ends there right. and we call it. right. It cycles around trends during that expansion. right? And this is another thing we got to think about is this other idea that we stagger. We stagger around a growth but it doesn't really affect the stock markets because they've already been deflated. Right. Here's so the, again, back to the financial market. elements the real economy. So yes, the the real economy is defl- de- decreasing growth, but the financial markets have deflated already. So now it begins to a situation where that they've deflated too much, relative to to the the decrease in growth, or not. And that's really a question again of weighting and valuation and deciding. But all in all, you just have to say that. Again, I, I hate to say it. It's not as bad as you think. It feels worse than you think. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, our director of research, when we talked about this today, Tracy, Mr. Mian, Mr. Shiraz Mian had this very same comment, and I'll credit him for it, which is I think people feel like it's a recession because it really is unprecedented to see every stock blow up. And right. I think it really feels like a, a growth rate that sucks when it's 2.3% because you've been in getting tax benefits, and hearing all these big numbers for a year or two. But the yeah. real real truth is it's a relative phenomenon. It's relatively poor feeling. It's not actually a quantitatively measured event where we're seeing the negative payroll growth. They're seeing the negative GDP growth, and we call the recession.
1: Right. Because for several years there, we were doing, weren't we doing between 1% and 2% during the Obama years, right? And that it didn't feel great, but it wasn't wasn't awful either during that time period.
0: Right, we've forgotten about these things because the stock yeah. market went up. You know, we had seven, eight, nine percent employment, so the stock yeah. market went up twenty percent a year. So it felt like at least we we're getting directionally speaking, headed in the right direction, and people were finding their way out of it, which tends to feel good. Yeah. But when you see everything unwind that you collected, uh, the malaise sets in. It doesn't right. seem like right. it's ever going to friggin' end. Yeah. And I think you and I feel the same way. Managing portfolios is actually get in. You look at the 15 stocks you put in someone's portfolio, yeah. and every one is 2 or 3% down. Yeah. And you say, well, that's great. I'm really doing a favor for all these people. Yeah. And you actually don't feel good about it. Yeah. And you go, well, right. what, what am I going to do about it? And you don't have an answer. Well- But, it, but you're, you're, the malaise sets in emotionally and psychologically that this got to end. This is terrible.
1: Right but that is that is my next question what should investors be looking to do then in 2019 so we're having this awful end to 2018 this is the worst december i'm actually kind of pessimistic now i usually am pretty bullish about the santa claus rally i don't think we're going to get it this year it actually starts this year on december 24th and goes through january 3rd of this year or of 2019 so i don't think we're going to get that should should they just be on the sidelines waiting. Nobody can ever time the bottom correctly, but should, is, it, is it too early to try to get in on some of these deals that I'm seeing at least?
0: Well, I think the answer is... From I mean, a so conserv- far,
1: it's been too early Yeah, <laughs> that I think, I've seen.
0: I think the answer is the same one I've heard the line before, which is, you know, you make your money between the 30-yard lines, which is just... I would rather people keep their positions they have and build cash now. Okay. So they don't have to sell their positions. Yeah. So the idea is twofold. One is to build cash now because the bottom's falling out. Right. And you get them better later, lower, later, better. And the other is just from a risk management perspective, you have cash. You don't need to be forced into situations. Right.
1: That's a good Because you point. don't know your,
0: your job won't, you know may not go your house. Yeah. You don't know what you're going to sell it into. So the idea of building cash goes way beyond equities right now. Right. You should just do it for that reason that you you don't have to be forced into corners any in the, in the next few months. Right. And then the idea of a bottom is not to time one or even care. Right. Just say, when it's over, and I look finally at the large cap trader and there's something green in it. Yeah. Then go, okay, it wasn't John at all. It was the deflated stock market that finally reflated for whatever reason. Yeah. And then we can discuss putting money to work. Okay. Because then at least you got a, a track ahead, a trend and change, a reversal in sentiment, a reversal in price right. to go with. And you're, you're going to leave some money on the table this way. But we've all seen these markets stagger up and head right on back down four or five weeks later. And it's going to be that case at least three times from October the 1st to December the, or January the 1st. And... It might be a lot more times, and that's—so it won't be clean, and you won't get it right, and you probably should just be thinking about enjoying your life right now and keeping the cash (laughs) up.
1: Yeah. Now, what about the argument of growth versus value, and a lot of the growth stocks have already been beaten up. But people have been conditioned to like buy the dip, as that saying has gone over the last couple of years, and that these growth stocks, including the fangs, were basically the sure things going up and up and up forever. But if we're in a deflation type of scenario or slowing growth in general, then it, is it the case that maybe the growth stocks that that cycle is over? and investors should at least start to consider. The option of value or or something in between those two, as the case may be, and that there could still be a lot more pain for the growth?
0: Well, I, I'm of the opinion that if the growth stocks are throwing cash off and they're doing buybacks— And you should do the same that they're doing, which is as long as you're throwing some cash off, keep your 401k allocations high through this thing and get the prices low. Don't time it. Just let the thing regularize and do what the CFOs are going to do, which is their stocks are cheap. So the growth stocks have to be throwing cash off. It can't be in the future. We're going to grow and get cash. They have to, like, for example, Qualcomm. Qualcomm, because it's been beat up as a stock, is trading with a 4.3% dividend. That's really an income That's really stuff.
1: high, yeah. <laughs> so you say to
0: yourself, or Micron, you know, Micron's got a $10 billion buyback. The stock's market cap is a third of that. Yeah. So they can do a buyback where the garlic or the chip market goes anywhere for a year. Soaking up a 30% gain in APS, earnings per share is just because it's earnings per share. So earnings can go nowhere. And if the per share accounts go down 23%, they can do quite well for you. So you got to think of it this way: during a deflating scenario, you want your companies to do buybacks, and any dividends you collect, because they turn growth stocks into income stocks, you want to plow it back into these these regularly into these stocks. So you want growth stocks that are that proven income delivery at this stage. Okay. No VC stuff, most small cap okay. thing, right? And so
1: that would exclude, like, Amazon pays no dividend, right. and they're not buying back anything. Right. Google, I don't think they're Google buying Google would
0: back. be have, but to have big cash They flows. do have
1: the big cash flow.
0: They can, it can introduce buybacks. Okay. They, you're looking at your could, own balance yeah. sheet, things that they can do.
1: Okay. So right. go for the ones, even if they don't pay the dividend, if they got that big cash there, they could do the buybacks.
0: Right. You have to go a little deeper in the balance sheets and say, these okay. guys could to turn out a buyback. You know, this is... Like Johnson and Johnson did after the you know this thing came out of nowhere about their their uh, tal powder, they just said okay we'll do a buyback. Scott cheaper now, yeah. I think again back to the reliquification. This this is one of the things that's going to support the market and get it through this thing, and it doesn't have anything to do with growth. You know, Micron yeah. can buy back twenty five percent of its shares here, right, in the next year. They, what a, what- it, it, just because they made so much cash. They can turn around and just plow it back for you, and then they, hey, you know we're beating earnings. Right. And the right. chip market can go absolutely nowhere, and they yeah. can sequentially beat earnings. Oh yeah, yeah. And so this sure. is the thing about it is you got to see that delivery. Okay. You got to see the cash on the balance sheets, and you got to see the gross margins stay up, and you got to see the delivery of net income follow through the to the to the income statements quarter on quarter. That's what you're looking for.
1: Okay. Um, that's all, that's good advice. What do you, what do you make about some of these value stocks that are already cheap right now? Like I know one of your favorites has always been he I don't know Key if that's yeah, is that how the, you pronounce it. I don't, right. I don't the, know.
0: The, 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 the chemical company. Yeah.
1: Ticker CC is that one. It's trading at 4.8 times now yeah. and it has the decent, pretty good dividend 3.7%.
0: Classic example. Business is fine going nowhere. Yeah. I mean, 6% growth. Right. But again, in this in Mark in a global market with 2% inflation, that's what you're going to get. Right. And yeah, you're throwing a $6 cheaper. a share mm-hmm. in earn- in cash for a $27 stock. Right. I've kept the thing and we'll keep the thing because again, if the S&P 500 is doing a minus 2% this year, just holding KEM is I'm beating it by five or six points. Right. And I don't care. I know my adve- my people think I'm I'm just being nuts and ignoring my stocks. I try to explain <laughs> to them, I'm, I'm not. He's not nuts. I'm trying to keep you aware of that. Although I can yeah. do to beat a market is earn these big dividends. You can just buy Qualcomm and care little. So you have to, right. to, to make the strategy work. You must realize you may own Qualcomm for two or three years in the strategy. Okay. So the, the thing about this strategy is you have to slow down your trading and pick the right cash rich stocks to ride the dividends out. And then just wait. So like a Morgan Stanley.
1: Okay. Morgan My next Stan- question is, yeah. was about the financials.
0: Yeah. So you got. I was looking at Morgan Stanley, eight times earnings now. Okay. It's had beat by 20% year on year. And so, again, a bank that's going to probably do quite well with cash.
1: What about the bigger banks like JP Morgan or the big regionals? They've been beaten up. Yeah, again. But they paying big dividends. But they're
0: paying big dividends. Four to five. Cash. Four yeah, to you five have to percent think, now. Again, the banks have to be longer term – you know very don't ever buy the dip just buy pieces of them over 2 to 3 to 5 to 6 to 12 months and just collect them with this concept that you're just going to get this dividend back and that that is that's is probably the way to handle this so i
1: should you know? be buying I should be getting into Zach's income investor immediately <laughs> I need to go and like consult what what stocks are in over there yeah I the problem to... there is
0: I, I mean you, you don't want I mean it's growth with the with the value okay it's so growth it's... and cash with the value I guess yeah the thing is it's there's gonna so be it's a universe. more specific yeah because okay. it, I mean you what you have here is a broad deflation of asset prices which is going to take everything down indiscriminately right so what That's you what want seeing is to actually selectively choose the gems that have no basis for this and ride them through. Yeah.
1: So what is that you're basically excluding most of the small caps then?
0: I think you so. You should get out of those. I think that the this this wisdom here is the small caps will always be ignored, right? Yeah. Um until the momentum returns.
1: That's right. And they are getting, they are underperforming the large caps by right. quite and a this, bit right now. Is,
0: right. And I think that's what's going to happen is they will continue to underperform because in a deflation market, risk, everything works opposite. The more risk you have, the less you want it and the more people will pull back. So, and they don't, they don't, the holding idea of a small cap here is is not going to pay off for you. You're not going to get anything right. for it. Right. Good so point. So this is the point. problem with the small caps, but at the same time. Um, very conservative allocations over time. Like I've do the allocations for Zach's, and I haven't overweight on small caps now because I think in a long horizon, you should put, you know, by rut level, high level allocations to rut because they're so damn cheap and they get so beat up. I mean, just from an entry point perspective. If you, again, it's all about horizons and how much time you're willing to wait and not getting... Aware that you're going to be the smartest guy in the room, just pack it up on that, and just say, "Okay, a little bit here. Another quarter from now, I'll do another if they're still down, and so on." Okay. So I don't think you want to ignore them in an asset allocation context, but I don't right. think stock picking in the rut is even worth more it. difficult. Yeah, I, I think it's going to be an, an yeah. almost impossible because deflation will just rip whatever yeah. the market wants to rip. Again, we've got to remember what what deflation is. It's it's fully financially organized. I've 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 learned this from this market that when you do a price-earnings ratio, you're connecting a price, which is a financial concept, to earnings, which is a real economic concept. When you're doing earnings growth, you're just doing a real economic concept, not a financial concept at all. And this deflation is all about financial-to-financial change. So the reason you get this wrong is you think, wow, look at the P ratio is going down and down and down. Right. But it's all about the P and then no one gives a damn about the E. Right. Because the E is a real concept. So yeah. this deflation is entirely financial. It is entirely related to what's happening in the financial markets. And yeah. that will cause you to have these incredibly odd realizations on this stock, so cheap. You know, Hansen's Naturals, we used to be 100 and it's now 15 bucks. Right. So just deflation yeah right
1: yeah yeah that's definitely something that's going on out there now you talked a little bit about shorting is it too late now to to short this market after the last couple of weeks
0: I'm, I'm are you this, late to that game I think at you're this late point? to the game okay. now, here's the problem with shorting this year the shorts that worked great were the January shorts okay right off the highs they probably took
1: that was when we had the kind of mania going on. We in, had the mania in January hunt. of last year. That was only a year ago.
0: Right, only a year ago. And then <laughs> those who shorted then could either covered by now and they made a nice return, or have a huge cover to make now and they just reared it down. Yeah. So the, the longer the shorts play the game, um, the more risky it gets because there's more and more people behind you who may or may not have covered. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing this in hedge fund land that they're eating their own now. They all decided to short the market, and that's tearing out stocks even more and causing the short idea to gain more and more risk. And they just like peaks in overvaluation, the other way, the shorts will overdo this. And we'll, we're probably seeing it now. Um, so the idea when they overdo this and how they overdo this is a game. They, they, they don't really – the machines and if you don't want to call them machines because they're just programmed to logically do this, and people are letting the machines pick this this thing and dry it out or whether people are doing more intuitive elements to that decision kind of irrelevant. It's just pretty late in the game for that. So I don't think retail people should start shorting stocks now. Okay. Probably the last time it was a good idea was June. Okay. Or maybe as maybe September. Okay. Now in January the 20th or December the 20th? It's too late. It's too late and I think the liquidations of the hedge funds from September 1 or October 1, October 1 to, December, to January one, the last three months, in my opinion, has the shorting of the market has been added to it as the redemptions from the shutting of hedge funds. because the guys who didn't short right away were still long and they got pounded, anybody with some more elements of long during the January to, to September sell-off then got redemptions and they just sold stock, they closed their funds. So the other point is what happens after January, the tax loss selling and the redemptions are shut, or at least they slow down. And you have to think that one of the best things that can happen this year is just get to January 1.
1: Okay. Well, that's coming up pretty quickly here about when we're we're recording this podcast, so we'll see. Um, One other quick question, this is a little off topic, but it sprang to mind while we were discussing all this. What, what do you think of Bitcoin here? We just passed the one-year anniversary of its peak at $20,000. It's it has been decimated. Is is Should anyone be poking around in Bitcoin? Is anyone? I think some are still. But is that is that a story at all for 2019?
0: Because it's, uh, it's
1: already y- crashed down.
0: Yeah, well, this is part of a deflation would have some kind of euphoria play out. So the element here that is consistent, again, is the story of Bitcoin. Okay. The extreme yeah. euphoria of right. a pure financial instrument. Again, within the quantitative tightening context, Bitcoin was the most risky and the most ephemeral, totally financial instrument with no real tie whatsoever, and it collapsed. Yeah. And so the real tie, there was a real tie, which was in the mining of it and the creating of server farms that had creating mines and coins. And this has had That's some effect collapsed. on the chips, right? Yes,
1: no. yes right. good and then bad.
0: But again, that, I doubt... Again, the amount of it, the effect on it versus all the other effects within chip buying and the chip demand, you have to weigh that out. But Bitcoin, really what it did is it destroyed a lot of income for people who put money in it.
1: 100%, yes.
0: And it, and it, But it also probably taught another generation about manias and bubbles and overvaluation and stupidity. And we may have to have one of these every five or 10 years for every generation to figure this out. Yeah.
1: We all want our lottery ticket, though, right? That's kind of what it is.
0: It was, and it, I think there was, from the cell phone perspective, there was a lot of fun to check your account on your cell phone. It yeah. had this, yeah. kind of like Twitter, it had this immediacy to seeing how you were doing. You know, the idea of Bitcoin, that it was so immediate that so you could get money immediately and do things immediately, but yeah. it also had this immediacy in how you're doing. Yeah. And so I think there was that, too. And I think I, you and, Neo and me, I was stated... Totally away from it and never bought into it because Me I'm neither. an economist. <laughs> and you, well, you yes. didn't either. No. <laughs> I will never do it and sell anybody on it. But um and I think people were really misled by anybody who was doing that. But I think behind that is the technology of blockchain. Right. Blockchain That's a thing. is a different concept. Yeah. That is again to the idea of Bitcoin being a financial idea and blockchain being In the real economy is a technology that can have a benefit in a real context. Blockchain is here to stay. Bitcoin is not. And that is a difference because blockchain is how you got to Bitcoin. And it was an interesting idea and has applications. And I think it will remain a good idea. So that's, but again, here's the idea that we have going on. And I think is the right one is real economies and real events and then distinguishing that between that and just pure financial stories. Because the 2018 is, at this point, a pure financial story of Bitcoin, a pure financial story of quantitative tightening or easing, a pure financial story of deflation of stocks. Uh, and this is all pure finance. And now we're just wondering about the real economy and how it's going to play out.
1: Well, we also see a deflation in the housing market then in the United States? Will that play into this whole deflationary type of thing? You would thing? think. We're already seeing a slowing.
0: We're seeing a slowing already. So we're seeing enough of that. And certainly the real estate market is one of the keen, clean links in the financial market and the real economy. Rental rates, right? Mortgage uh, loans and housing prices are all financial concepts that are going to work here. So if we think about it, rental price is falling, is net positive for consumption, it'll lower consumer growth, it can infl- consumer inflation, because it's 40% of that. So the Fed will have an easier job, and there will be more money put in people's pockets who rent, who are typically lower income. So that's actually probably, from a growth perspective, good. The negative is the multifamily loan market could face stress.
1: Bank of the Ozarks.
0: Bank of the Ozarks, thing. So <laughs> there So there, there you have a way for an unwind to happen yeah. through multifamily lending. The, the housing market is much smaller than it ever has been. Prices are high again, but I, my feeling is so few, generationally speaking, it's totally di- divergence between those who are old and have these houses and those who are young who never bought. Right. So I think there again, it's not likely to be sweeping this time and that and the benefit of lower housing prices is maybe in another few years people can start actually buying them who are younger.
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. The millennials will move from the rentals into
0: wow. housing. So that 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 idea of deflation if it plays out over a long enough horizon generationally the transfer of wealth from one generation to the next can happen in a more equitable fashion which would be good news. So, but again that that's time frame is over Multiple years, not even months, or right. even a year or two, so but i my thinking is that we're going to see housing prices fall here um probably for a little bit of time okay, and it again it, it may not be mania related like we saw in o to- seven, but it will have an element of it to deflate with stocks and deflate with the overall sense of what valuations should be
1: okay. Now, I was just taking a look at the FANGs because after we just talked about your theory about how you want to be in these, the growth names that can have the cash flows. And it seems just from looking at, and I'm doing the double A here, Apple and Amazon in there, and I'm using Netflix for the N. It seems most of FANG qualifies for your definition of what you should maybe be in, um, except maybe Netflix, because they don't have the cash flow and they're spending uh, billions and billions of dollars on all their content there. And maybe even Facebook, because I don't believe they're doing a buyback. I don't think so. Right. And there's no dividend there. And their cash flow, because they're spending so much on hiring all these people to monitor everything and all this, uh, that that's hitting them. But other than Facebook and Netflix, Apple... Well, and then we talked about Amazon. They don't. They don't have great cash flow either. So maybe it's just Apple and and Google right. Alphabet that really qualify at, well, under the fangs.
0: Right. Well, that's and that's a good use on a live radio broadcast of how you can start to sort out. Yeah. Stuff a little differently here. You know. Yeah, you can... because
1: everybody I talk to still believes. Like I actually have talked to some of my uh, Bay Area friends about Facebook now that it's come down off the tops. And, you know, I was like, well, it could go lower here. And they're like, no, you can never, <laughs> like, this is already cheap enough. And they don't see that it could go much, much lower here. But the, the belief in the, the fangs is, is still super strong, understandably so. I own a whole bunch of these yeah. myself. So I'm just... Just putting that out there, because I think people, everybody, well, not everyone, but a lot of people do own at least one of the Fangs. Yeah. If not maybe all of them across the board. Yeah. So that's something that everybody's gonna be looking at as
0: yeah, forward, I, mean, I think. What we know about the Fang stocks is is, you know, from the last 15 or 20 years, they are the people who effectively accumulated the right ideas and own them now. Maybe throw Airbnb in and a couple other players. But really, I think it was remarkable that whole 2000 period, the last recession, is we really ended up with six or eight companies that really changed the world and the rest of them burned out and disappeared or really didn't reach a level of importance that that matters too much. And that's where we're at with this whole thing. And now it's a generation later, and these some of these companies are f- fairly old, right? Um, you know, I mean, over
1: twenty years now. Yeah, I know it's crazy. Yeah, several of the fangs are over twenty years now. Uh, okay, so we're going to be pe- keeping an eye on all of those. Of course, the fang stocks: uh, Facebook, the ticker there is FB; Apple is AAPL; Amazon, AMZN; Netflix, NFLX, and then Google still goes by that, but it's Alphabet now, GOOGL. Then a few of the others we talked about, Qualcomm, that's Q-U-A-L, isn't it? Yeah. Okay, Qualcomm, Hemours.
0: QCOM. What is it? QCOM. Oh,
1: sorry. Why I, I never get that one right. Um okay, so that's QCOM on Qualcomm. Don't quote me on the other one. Humors, uh, that's CC and then we talked about JP Morgan a bit JPM and then also micron mu buying up a lot of its shares there was that that's pretty much all the. M- big names that we mentioned, but a lot of people will be going out there and searching for this story, I feel, after listening to this podcast. It's always good to have you on, John, especially, like, this year, especially with everything going on. So um, you will be back next year, hopefully, to uh, see how this is all playing out.
0: Yeah, and we'll see if I was right about about all this stuff. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's still still more of a theory than a reality, but I think, right. you know, in terms of people... Gaining coherence about the difference between a financial event and a real economic event. Yeah. And thinking about those separately and then jointly is what I would hope people took away from this podcast.
1: Yeah. This has been really helpful. So. If you wanna get more of our podcasts or check out some of our other podcasts that John has been on in the last couple of years, this is now our 160th episode. So we've been going for over three years. You can get all of our episodes every week on SoundCloud. Zach's Market Edge is on SoundCloud and you can get us on Apple Podcasts as well. But be sure to subscribe so you don't miss a single episode and we'll be back in 2019 with more stock picks, discussion of the economy, and whatever else is going on, so I'll see you then.